0: Right, good morning and welcome again to Cornerstone Church. It's, um, it's great to have you with it, here with us this morning um, as we continue our look at the uh, statements that Jesus proclaims um, throughout these Gospels where he proclaims, I am. And through August, uh, we've been looking at the I am statements that Jesus made about himself. Um, he said that I am the bread, the light, the door, the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life, and the way, the truth, and the life. Now these statements are Jesus declaring that he is God, he is from God, and he is the way to relationship with God. Today we're looking at John chapter 11. So if you've got your Bibles, if you can turn there, that'd be great. And the book of John is written in part as an account of the signs Jesus showed as to who he was, an account of the evidence of Jesus' signs so that people will see and believe. And today's passage is about an amazing sign that Jesus does to reveal his glory. So let's read John chapter 11, verse one. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointments and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, The Jews were just now seeking to stone you and you were going there again. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us go, that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days, Father, we thank you that we are able to gather here this morning to open your word and uh, just to hear um, about your son, Christ Jesus. Father, we pray just as we uh, read and we hear, uh, Lord, your words, that, that we would be moved, that you would speak to us, and we would be reminded of who Christ is. Father, help us to, to listen to you and what you are speaking to us this morning, we pray. Amen. So what is your first response When you hear that someone you love is ill, not just ill, but with an illness that threatens their life, what do you think, what emotions run through you, and what then is your action? I would presume that we would all feel some sort of pain and anguish at hearing that news. We'd have a sense of sadness and worry. Most of us would think about what we could do. To help can we get them more help maybe different help or or better help even and I think most of us would go to that person wouldn't we as soon as possible it's someone we love we show that love by being with them to offer help and support and comfort being close to them is a clear display of love to that person some of us actually may hide from the pain and fear and not go We can't deal with the overwhelming emotions that come with suffering, and maybe we just freeze. But we read in verse five here of the chapter how Jesus is sent news of a friend who he loves. And this is repeated in verse five. Now Jesus loved Martha and his sister and Lazarus. So we expect Jesus' response to be similar to our own, to have some initial shock and pain and then to either rush to Lazarus to be with him and and do what he can do to help, or to be overwhelmed and hide.
1: But Jesus' response is, it's not what we expect. Verse six says, so, or or therefore, because Jesus loved them. When he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the
0: place where he was. In our eyes, and understanding this response is, it's not right, is it? But Jesus has explained the reason and the purpose for his response in the previous verses. Verse four reads, but when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Jesus' response and actions are here not filled with earthly pain and worry, but they proclaim that God will be glorified even through this pain and suffering. Now, God hasn't caused this suffering. The effects of sin on God's creation caused the illness and suffering that this family are experiencing. But God, in His timing, will be glorified through this suffering. God does not always answer our requests instantly. And after time, we come to realize that our will and plan of the way that God does things is thankfully not God's way. Jesus' delay in going to Lazarus serves a greater purpose. It's for a greater revelation of God's glory to occur. Jesus could go straight away and be there in time to perform, perform a miraculous healing of Lazarus. And we see Martha and Mary later on both say this, if you'd have come, you could have done something. But Jesus knows God's will in this and delays going to display a greater glory. Jesus' delay Sorry, we we see similar evidence of this, of Jesus proclaiming God's glory through suffering and difficulty in John chapter nine, when Jesus heals the man who's been born blind and the disciples ask whose sin caused this? Was it the man's or his parents? But Jesus' response is not to condemn either the man or his parents. It's to proclaim that God will be glorified through this blind man and his suffering. See, the disciples, they're asking the wrong question. They should be asking how is God going to be glorified, glorified through the way that Jesus works? We need to change our mindsets in this, don't we? And we, ask, and we should ask the question in times of f- suffering, how is God gonna be glorified through this? What is Jesus going to do to glorify God through our suffering? And in verse 15, Jesus again proclaims that what is going to happen and through what is going to happen, that he's going to make the disciples believe. But he's wrapped in a sentence that that doesn't seem to make sense. It's a bit strange to us. It says, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there so that you may believe. So let us go. Almost saying to the disciples, if I was there, I would have healed Lazarus and you would have seen another miracle, but you've seen these before, and you still don't understand. You don't understand and see the fullness of who I am and what I came to do. So the narrative is building. God's glory is going to be displayed, and when it is, those who witness this will see who Jesus really is and believe. Sin and its effects have taken a terrible toll on God's creation. And here in this story, they've taken a terrible toll on a dear friend of Jesus who he loved. But sin is no match for the glory of God. Sin cannot cover God's glory, and it gives opportunity for a great glory to be revealed. So Jesus goes with the disciples who were with him to Bethany, to Martha and Mary. And at the time of his arrival, Lazarus has been buried in the tomb for four days. We read in verses 17 to 19 that as Jesus arrives, there's not just a small, close family group there grieving and mourning the death of, Naz- uh, of Lazarus. There is a large number of Jews from Jerusalem mourning and consoling the family. So we can be certain from this evidence that Lazarus has died. The sad news has spread through the community, and there is no consideration in anyone's mind that Lazarus is, is just sleeping or just ill, there's no life in the body that is buried in that tomb. So as Jesus is arriving, Martha hears that he's coming and is close by, so she goes out to meet him. She can't wait, her character is to to get up and to go and to do something. And as Martha meets Jesus, she can't help but spill out her jumble of thoughts and, and emotions. We see in verse 21, she says, "'Lord, if you'd have been here, "'my brother would not have died, but, but even now, I know that if you ask something from God, you God will give it to you. She's saying, why weren't you here? Why didn't you do something? Why didn't you come? You could have stopped him dying. You could have saved him. But then she kind of catches herself, doesn't she? In her outpouring of upset and anger towards Jesus. And she remembers a little bit of who he is. And she says, but, but you can still do something. I, I don't really know what, but, but you can. So please... Please do something, Jesus. You see, Martha displays a thinly veiled hope and trust in him, a surface-level understanding of who he is and what he can do. But Jesus responds to Martha in verse 24. He responds, Your brother will rise again. And I think at this moment when Martha hears this, she she's thinking of Jesus as just a teacher. She thinks that he is sharing the scriptures and beliefs of the believers with her to comfort her. And her reply is, I, I know. I believe in the resurrection on the last day. Martha is listening to the words and thinking that they are just words, just knowledge of a future event. She isn't listening to Jesus' words and what he is saying to her. She is looking past Jesus. And then we read how Jesus speaks truth to Martha and how the words he speaks take all of Martha's knowledge and belief and they bring about a change and a transformation as she hears the words that he says and she sees who Jesus truly is. Verse 25, Martha's response. Oh, sorry, no. Jesus speaking truth to her. Jesus said to her, I I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me Though he die, he He shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus' words convey so much to Martha. They take her knowledge and belief in the resurrection, and they give it power. Jesus gives her tangible belief that it's not just words and a future hope, but that it is real and powerful and present she experiences christ's power and glory in what he says then and there
1: now the footnote in my bible is really helpful it says without christ there is no resurrection and no eternal life
0: jesus doesn't just say that he will bring about or be the cause of resurrection he says i am the resurrection and the life these two things are so closely tied to jesus that they are embodied in him and can be found only in relationship to Jesus. Jesus is the power and the concept of the resurrection.
1: See, Martha's knowledge and belief in the words of Scripture are changed and transformed into a
0: trust and belief in the person and power of Christ, of Jesus. Martha, she stops looking past him and just hearing the words that he is saying, She now sees his true majesty and she hears the truth that he ministers to her. That surface level faith that she was displaying in the the initial interaction, sorry, is solidified and she is all in. Her response to Jesus' question, do you believe this? Verse 27, she says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. She's moved to confess and profess faith in who he is
1: and we miss the majesty of christ at times don't we we take a surface level understanding of what we read and
0: hear it sounds good and it makes us feel better but we miss the truth and power in the words of the bible because we look past who jesus is we only see a part of his true majesty now this was my experience for years as I grew up. I came to church each week with my mom and dad and I heard the Bible taught in Sunday school and then when I was old I heard it preached. I read the Bible and and I prayed a bit. I had a decent knowledge, I thought, of what it was all about. I was hearing God's words and, and I said I believe this. But it made no difference to me really and how I lived. And it wasn't until the age of 21 when God stepped in and changed my mind and my heart that I experienced God's word and his power. I truly saw who Jesus was and it affected change, real change in my life. We still get stuck in these periods as believers as well, don't we? We take it for granted about what we are believing. We believe it is true, and, but it's without real effect and change wonder what aspects of Jesus have you looked at in the past week that you've not fully seen? What aspects of Jesus are you looking past that would affect change in you truly? Where has Jesus been revealing his power and majesty to you over this past week? It's so important for us to really see Jesus' majesty and have our affections and faith in him stirred by that but we must also remember and see his humanity. Jesus is God with us. Emmanuel, he came from heaven to earth that he would be like us in human form. And being wrapped in human flesh, Jesus also experienced human emotion. And we see this throughout this passage. We've already seen at the beginning of the chapter in verses three and five that Jesus loved Lazarus and Martha and Mary. He loved them. His heart was Them. In verse 11, he says, Our friend, there is a strong bond and relationship. Jesus has experiences. Jesus has and experiences human emotion just as we do. And as the story moves on, Martha goes to Mary and brings her to where Jesus is, and a number of the other mourners follow, thinking that they're going to the tomb. And Mary says the same thing as Martha as she falls at Jesus' feet Lord, If you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus sees the pain and suffering that Mary, Martha and the community around them are experiencing. He sees them weeping in verse 33 and it says he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Jesus' deep emotions are stirred as he sees the effects of sin. Some commentators suggest that Jesus' response is even audible. It's a deep sigh or even a snort. And that there is an anger and irritation at the effects of sin on the lives of the people that he loves and tenderly cares for. It's clear that Jesus hates sin and its effects. And this is great for us, isn't it? This is great. Jesus hates sin. He knows the pain that it causes in us so he knows the need that we have for him as the one who breaks sin and its effects we need a king and a savior who's like that who knows and loves us so deeply that he is moved by the sin by what sin does in our life we need him to hate that sin in our lives and the effects that it has we need him to feel that we need him to feel that sin so that he is willing to receive the judgment for our sin. He knows our sin, he knows our pain, he knows our need and he's willing to step in to destroy that for us. He does this because he tenderly cares for his people. Those he loves, his heart is for you and he tenderly cares for you. This deep love and emotion that Jesus feels and experiences is clear in this story And it's visible and obvious to those who are witnessing this event as well. Because in verse 35, it says, Jesus wept. There's a real outward, visible and significant evidence of the emotion Jesus is experiencing. And what do some of those who witness that say? They say, see, look, look what he's feeling. He must have loved this person. See how deeply he loved Lazarus. But there's others there that question this. They question Christ's love. They ask the question if he really loved him, would he not have come sooner so that Lazarus didn't die? But these people, they don't understand and see the actions and will of Jesus in what he is doing. They think that because Jesus didn't respond as they would, that he doesn't love, because their understanding of what love is and how it is displayed is skewed by their human condition. Now, finally, Jesus arrives at the tomb where Lazarus is laid. We reach the climatic point of the story after Jesus proclaims in the beginning, this illness does not, does not lead to death, it is for the glory of God. Then we witness him delaying, waiting. We see his exclamation of truth to Martha that I am the resurrection and the life. And that stirs his soul and moves her to recognize Jesus as the Christ. And we see Jesus' deep emotions and tender care to those he loves. And we are now expectant for the revelation of Jesus' power to glorify himself and God. Jesus calls for the stone in front of the cave to be moved. Martha, still, still not fully confident, even after her confession of faith and Jesus' revelation earlier, Questions, she said, but, but Lord, by this time, the odor of death will be upon him. He's been dead for four days. Jesus' response is firm and gracious towards her. Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God?
1: I told you that Lazarus would be resurrected. I told you I was the resurrection and the life.
0: You saw my glory in those words, Martha, and now you will see my glory in the actions that I will do. So they moved the stone, and Jesus praised to God the Father. He does this to show that he and the Father are one and that he is sent from the Father. And after he prays, he calls out. He says, Lazarus, come out. You see that Jesus calls Lazarus by name. We heard that last week, the good shepherd, he calls his own by name and they hear his voice.
1: Another writer even suggests that if Jesus had not called Lazarus by name, that his mighty power would have raised
0: all the dead from their graves. But he calls Lazarus, come out. And of course, Lazarus, verse 44, the man who had died came out. Where there was death, there was now life. And with the burial clothes that he was covered in still wrapped around his body, Jesus gives one more command. He says, unbind him and let him go. Jesus resurrects this man, gives him new life and frees him from any bond or evidence of death. Can you imagine what it was like to be there and witness this, particularly for Martha and Mary? The grief and pain that they must have been feeling is now replaced with such joy and excitement as they see Lazarus come out of the tomb. What about how Lazarus is feeling? He had suffered and died, and how he's alive again. What must be going through his mind? It must be pure elation and joy as well that he has this new life. And within this story, his is the greatest, greatest change from death to life. I don't even think he'd smell of death like Martha was worried about. Any decay in his body would have been healed. Jesus has the power to do this. His words have the power to do that. Now this event in itself is an evidence of God's glory being displayed and revealed. It is another sign of who Jesus is and to many they see and they believe. But it anticipates Jesus' own resurrection and reveals him as the resurrection and the life. But it is also the event that causes the Jewish leaders to plan Jesus' arrest and crucifixion, which leads to that great glory of Jesus' own death, burial, and resurrection, which was Christ's purpose on earth. You see, Jesus didn't just come to proclaim God's glory with his teachings or through the many miracles that he performed. Jesus came to save those who believed in him, to save them from sin and death and to give them new and eternal life. In John John 3 verse 16, it reads, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save them through him. Jesus had to die on the cross to take the full weight of punishment for sin upon himself, for the full effect of sin to be manifested upon his human form. Why? So that God's glory will be revealed on the third day when Jesus himself, by his power, resurrected from death to life to be the first fruits of the resurrection on the last day. In Jesus' resurrection, it is the ultimate revelation that sin and death, they have no power over him. Evidence if we needed more, that those words that he said, I am the resurrection and the life are true. Resurrection and life are found in him and through him only. So how does this apply to us as believers? Because I'm not aware as I look around this room that anyone has been resurrected from the dead. And if you have, please come and speak to me at the end. I'd love to hear that story. But of course, this story of Lazarus is the story of every believer. Not physically, but spiritually, we were dead. Ephesians 2 verse one says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins which you once walked. Every person is in this condition because we follow our own desires our own minds, and we worship ourselves instead of God. But for God so loved the world. But God, being rich in mercy, loved us so much, even in our sinful death, he made us alive together with Christ. Jesus' power over sin and death allows him to look upon you in your sinful spiritual death and proclaim this illness, this condition, it does not lead to eternal death. It is for the glory of God that the Son may be glorified through it. And because of the deep affection that he has for you and the hate he has for sin in your life, he didn't allow sin to keep hold of you and keep you in your death. He called you by name and he calls you out of death into glorious life. We have life because of Christ and life in Christ. We are united to him in our new life and should display this glory as we live. Now it's interesting if you read on in the passage about Lazarus' life following his resurrection. Lazarus is now primary evidence of Jesus' glory and power. Many people see this and they believe in Jesus because of Lazarus' resurrection. So the Jewish leaders, they plan to kill Lazarus as well. Now the fingerprints of Jesus' work and Lazarus' life are all over him. People hear his story and see his life and they are moved to believe in Jesus and who Jesus claims to be. And a couple of questions arise from that for me and for you. Are we primary evidence of Christ's work and his glory and power? Are the fingerprints of his work so clearly evident in us that people are moved to consider Jesus and who he says he is? It should be. They should be visible, shouldn't they? Because our story is the same as Lazarus. I was dead, but now I am alive because Jesus saved me and he gave me new life. I now believe all of who Jesus is, my savior, my provider, my comforter, my shepherd, and my king. I believe it because I have experienced it, the power of him in my life, and I have faith and hope that even though I will die, I will be raised again when Jesus calls his people at the last day. And when we are raised, we celebrate and we feast, don't we, as we live forever with God and Jesus our King. We should have lives full of joy, full of hope, even through our sufferings. We praise Christ for the lives He has given us. If we truly believe it has power, it gives us life. This should be clearly evident in the lives that we are living. I just wanna speak to those of you maybe who are here that that don't believe this and are not yet saved. You are hearing and you are reading these words, but maybe like Martha, you're looking past who Jesus really is.
1: Maybe the words Jesus said, they sound good, but,
0: but they're just not right for you now. Maybe in the future when it comes to it, you know, that, that sounds good, and I believe at that point. But those future promises, they are great, but listen again to what Jesus says in verse 25. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, yet shall, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Those future promises, they only come about because Jesus is who he says he is now. You can have new life now because he was punished and died for all our sins and was resurrected and is now living in the presence of the Father, those future hopes and promises are only fulfilled in and through Jesus. So please, everyone, look to Jesus and see He is the only hope who can give you life now. He is the one who will release you from your sin, call you by name, and unbind you. He loves you, and He wants your resurrection. And he wants your life to be evidence of his glory. And when we look to Jesus and we see who he really is, we can all join together and respond as Martha did. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. And with certainty, we hold on to those promises of Christ as we are sure in the knowledge that the grave itself is a conquered enemy and it must render back its tenants safe and sound the very moment that Christ calls for them. On the last day, we will be raised with him and we will live with him forever. We are now alive in Christ and although we will die, we will be resurrected when Christ returns to bring his people home with him. So let's celebrate and give glory and praise now as we pray and sing. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for this message that through Jesus, even though we are dead in our sins, we will be made alive because of his power, because of his work at the cross and his resurrection. We thank you that we have new life in him and we are united to him and we have that life now, Lord. Help us to live that out as we recognize that, as we remember that, as we look to Jesus and we see his beauty and his majesty. Father, I pray that we are moved, that our affections are stirred to love him more because we see truly who he is. I ask, Father, change us, make us love him more. And for those of us here that maybe don't know him, Father, I pray again that we see truly who he is and that as he says these words, I am the resurrection and the life that we hear and we see and believe. Father, we thank you that you change hearts. You give life where there was no life. And that now eternally, Lord, those who love and believe this will be with you forever. Amen.